This morning we are going to uh, continue in the second half of Deuteronomy. I know we generally do a Mother's Day sermon, but we're kind of on a roll here. So we're going to continue in the second half of Deuteronomy. I want to point something out, though. As I, I watched that and prepared, and even as I was reading through Deuteronomy, I was reminded of a couple of passages of Scripture. One in particular in the book of Hebrews. Actually, there's one in Genesis that I was also reminded of. But um, let's, let's listen to this verse in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 11, starting in verse 23, it says, By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw that he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to, know, uh, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded, uh, he regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as greater value than the treasure of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw who was with him. He saw, he saw him who was invisible. Moses, one of the greatest characters in, in history, we see a shadow uh, of him in the pages of our Bible. He's mentioned 261 times in Exodus, 80 times in Leviticus, 216 times in Numbers, 35 verses in Deuteronomy, 51 in Joshua, 47 verses in the other historical accounts. The book of Psalms and prophets refer to him. Uh, he is mentioned 37 times in the Gospels, 19 times in Acts, 22 times in the Epistles. The book of Revelation refers to him and says, uh, although he's mentioned um, in other places, the book of Revelation also refers to him. Altogether, he's mentioned 784 times in the Bible. These verses show us a picture of this mighty man of God who was mightily used by God we see him in the context of those verses. He's, he's an emancipator. He was the one who helped set the slaves free. He was a lawgiver. He was a scholar. He was a soldier. He was a statesman. He was one of two men with Christ who stood on the Mount of Transfiguration. He wrote uh, the very first psalm, which was recorded in Exodus 15 and verse 11. According to Revelations 15 and 3, the songs of Moses will still be sung in glory. He was undoubtedly a great man of God, a hero of the faith, one of the most accomplished leaders that the world has ever known. However, much of what he became was because of his mom. It was because of his parents. They hid him out. Do you remember the story? Back around the days when, when, when Pharaoh knew that there was a deliverer coming, he decided that every boy baby that was born should be tossed into the Nile River and should be, should be killed. And, and Noah's mom... Noah, not Noah. Got to get away from my notes. Moses, is, well, see, he was in, wrapped in a little basket, kind of like an ark, like Noah's ark. <laughs> I'm getting ahead of myself. Moses' mother decided, regardless of what the law was, regardless of what was supposed to happen, she had faith in God because she and her husband saw that this baby was somebody special, and so she wrapped him in a little basket, almost like Noah, wrapped him in a little basket and sent him down the river until Pharaoh's daughter picked him up and then she sent her other daughter around and said hey maybe you need a, 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 a nursing mom maybe you need a mom who can nurse the baby from, from, the, from the slaves I'll send I know a lady and the lady happened to be Moses' 
mother, and so Moses' mom got to raise him. That was done by faith. We think of Moses as the lawgiver. We're going to talk today about that law and just how critical of a role his parents played in that. And I believe, specifically, as I was reading through this, I just thought, Lord, it's just like you to show how important his mother was in all of this here on Mother's Day. Moms, you, ha- you never know the value that you place in your kids. You'll never know the importance. You'll never know how much that means to your kids. They may not, you may never know because they may, may never tell you. But the reality is you're, you're that force. You're part of that force that drives the growing up of your kids and sends them in that right direction. Last week, we said that even through the difficulties of Egypt, that God kept the children of Israel safe from the world around them. Now, last week, I preached too long, and I wasn't able to show us their video. And I'm going to start this week with the video so that when I finally get done at the end, I don't have to remember it. So let's take a look at this video for this week. That was a good one, but that was not the one. Ours is in black and white. And if we don't find it there, I'm going to start preaching, and when they find it, they're going to tell me about it. How's that? We find the children of Israel are freed from slavery, right? That's where we came last week. We, we, they came out of Egypt. God blesses them. They're freed from slavery. God has, they've experienced that, that release from Egypt. And again, we could spend a whole Sunday just talking about the different things that the children of Israel experienced while they were in the desert. But we catch up. All that happens in Exodus uh, chapters 1 through 18. We get into Exodus chapter 19. And at Exodus 19, we find the children of Israel um, at Mount Sinai. We got it back there? We don't got it. Well, guess what? You just got to listen to me today. Putting this back in the middle. Okay, we find uh, children at at the foot of Mount Sinai and they're... There were about three months. God had, Egypt had chased them, right? Remember this, when Pharaoh set the children of Israel free? Egypt chased them, the the Pharaoh chased them, and they finally ended up out in the desert. The waters were parted. They walked through the Red Sea, and when they walked through the Red Sea, then God swallowed up Pharaoh's armies who were chasing them. And now they're three months walking in the desert. Three months, okay? They've been in captivity for 400 years. 400 years. They're barely getting by. Pharaoh makes it harder and harder all the time. He's taking away more food. He's he's making them get their own straw to make the bricks. They finally get out. They finally get set free. And after three months, they find themselves at the foot of Mount Sinai. And what are they doing? Are they celebrating the God that delivered them? What are they doing? Grumbling. What did you take us all out here for? Yeah, so, so you set us free from Pharaoh and we come out here to die? Is that what's going on? Now we're going to die out here in the wilderness? They're grumbling, right? They're grumbling. They're tired. God is providing cornflakes for them every morning. It's called frosted flakes. You read about it. Man, the flakes that are frosted, they're, they're on the ground. They go out and they pick them up every morning. Now, there's not, they can't take enough for two days except when the Sabbath comes, then they store enough. But they, they get these flakes on the ground every morning. And then God brings in quail every night for them. He provides for them every day. They don't have to look for food. They don't have to do anything. God provides for them entirely. They just saw this massive deliverance. They've got wagons full of gold and silver. They're, they're, they're carts. They're, they've got everything that they could ever need, and they're grumbling. 
That doesn't sound like us ever, right? I mean, on occasion, don't we find ourselves doing the same thing? Like God provides everything that we ever need, but we can't get the twins on TV today, or we can't get the Vikings, or we can't do this, or we can't do that, or man, it's raining. We've got everything that we absolutely need, and we find ourselves grumbling. There's a lesson in there for us. So here, even though God has delivered them from all these things, they actually would prefer to be back in bondage. You read the account. It's what we read this week. They would prefer to be back in bondage in Egypt. Egypt, in Exodus chapter 19, starting in verse 3 through verse 6, then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, this is what you're to say to the house of Jacob or Israel. This is what you're to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, 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 he says, now, if you will obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. These are the words that you are to speak to the Israelites. If you as my people will keep the rules of my covenant. This is the first time in covenant conversation that God has had with any of Israel. It's the first time that he's ever said, you have a part in it. You have to fill your side of it. You need to stay in covenant. Here, we're going to give you some rules. We're going to give you some regulations. And I need you to fill your part. It's the first time. It's the first time. Otherwise, every covenant that has been fulfilled, been cut up until this point in time, what we see in, with, with Adam and Eve, what we see with, uh, with uh, Abraham, what we see with Noah, God does it all. This is the first time that man has got a role to play in it. It's the very first time. And here's the deal. This is just before God gives them the Ten Commandments. And he's trying to remind them about how much he cares. He's like, if you will just do your part, I'm going to make you a nation of priests. I'm going to, you're going to be special to, to the entire world. You're going to be a special group of people throughout the whole... God's given, God is giving them this promise. Amen. This isn't like me promising Alonzo something. This is God making a promise. If you will do this, you will be a special person, special type to the whole world. Right? You'd think somebody would be having a party. Right? You'd think we'd be celebrating that. And God is laying this out before the children. You see, back in the Garden of Eden, there were those two trees. If you remember, there was the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God didn't want people, they ate from the, they ate from the fruit, right? And all of a sudden, they knew about evil. God didn't want them to know evil at all. But it wasn't just the tree of evil, was it? is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God didn't even want him to know good. Hang on. Hang on. You're going, wait a minute. Wait a minute. God didn't want him to know good. He didn't want him to know evil. He didn't want him to know the difference. God wanted them to know him. He wanted them to walk in relationship with him, to know his goodness, to know his mercy, to know his kindness, to know his justice. You don't need to know good and evil if we know God, right? I know. I know. It's a big step. Hang on. I got a couple more of those this morning. There's a couple of big steps this morning. 
God wanted them to know just how much he loves humanity. And so here he's telling Moses, listen, I want you to go and speak to them and tell them that they've got something, there's a part that they have to play in this. We go on, Exodus 19 and 16. On the morning of the third day, part of the video that I was going to show kind of explains this a little bit better than, than I did, but God talked to, the, to Moses and he said, I want you to tell the people to consecrate themselves. So he's supposed to stand before all of Israel, like me standing before this congregation, and says to Israel, I want you to consecrate yourself. I want you to prepare yourself. I want you to do nothing wicked or nothing evil. Get your heart right. And whatever you do, don't touch the mountain of God because God is holy and he's going to be on this mountain and you don't want to touch that if you are not holy yourself, if you're not consecrated yourself because in that day that you do that, you will die. God is a holy God. He's trying to reach out to Israel. Chapter 19, verse 16. On the morning of the third day, the thunder and the lightning was thick. Uh, thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended. Get, get a picture of this. I'm sorry. Just get a picture in your head. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke. Because the Lord descended on it with fire, and the smoke billowed up from it, and the smoke was like a furnace, and the whole mountain trembled violently. And the sound of a trumpet grew louder and louder. Then Moses spoke, and the voice of God answered. Can you imagine? Can you imagine this mountain? This ma I'm not talking about Detroit Mountain. Okay. I'm talking about a real mountain. You've seen the Rockies? Where were we at in Washington? We saw Mount Rainier. And when we saw Mount Rainier from the bay in Seattle, it was 85 miles away and it looked massive from 85 miles away. Here they're at the foot of this mountain. And Moses is telling people, you get prepared. And then God shows up on the scene and everybody goes, nope, not me. Backing up. We're not going. You can go. We're not going. So Moses goes up and he meets with God. And again, all of this was in the video, so I don't have these scriptures laid out, but Moses meets with God, and, and God is going to pass by him, and Moses has to stick his face in the cleft of the rock. He's got to get himself buried because no man can look on God. God is so holy. And as, as the, the shadow goes by, as God passes by, Moses comes down days later, and his face is so radiant, he's so glowing, even though he didn't look at God, his face is so radiant that they said, cover your face with a veil, cover your face. We can't stand to look on you, you're too bright. <laughs> woo -hoo! Can you imagine? Can you imagine? That same God wants to have a relationship with us. There's going to come a day when the Bible says we're going to see him as he is. We're going to see him face to face, right? Can you imagine? Not in my sinful body. Moses had to bury himself. So God gives the Ten Commandments. And by the, time, by the time Moses comes down the mountain with the Ten Commandments, the children of Israel are already breaking two of them, right? There's already a mess going on. God gives the 
Ten Commandments. It's the beginning of the law. As we look through the book of Deuteronomy and then on into Leviticus, there are 613 laws that are given. 613 regulations. And again, remember, Moses was saved by faith. He was raised by faith. He went before God by faith, and yet there's all these rules and regulations, all these laws that are given. We say things like, you know, God gave us those, those rules out of love. But I want to look at it, and I think there's something even deeper than that. As we go through Exodus, we should have finished Exodus this week, and we begin reading through Leviticus, you're going to see these rules in such detail. People read the Old Testament, and they wonder, well, if God's a God of love, how come he's got so many rules and regulations? The truth of the matter is to a reader like us, a modern day reader, the Old Testament can seem very strange reading through all these rules and they're they're repeated over and over again. But I want you to think about this for just a minute. This is a revelation. I believe it's just a revelation that came to me this week. Maybe you all are smarter than I am and you've thought about this before and you've got this all figured out, but I, 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 I never did. How many of you have been part of this church for more than six months? Okay. How many of you know that a church like this would have a set of bylaws, right? Every church should have a set of bylaws, right? How many of you have read those bylaws? Other than Dewey and Lonnie Prine and Kevin, Scott, and me. There are a few of us elders who have read the bylaws. Most of you haven't read the bylaws, right? The bylaws are how we govern this church, right? That's how we do it. How many of you are citizens of this great United States? You know, there's a document that governs how we rule the United States, right? What do we call that? Constitution, right? How many of you read the Constitution? Wow, more than more than read our church. We've got to get more of our bylaws. It's available, Tony, really. You can, you can get these things. I'm sure back in eighth grade or something, I was supposed to read them, and I just read the front and the back and came up with a report based on that. I'm not sure, but... Here's what I want you to understand. Previous to the giving of the law, I want you to get this. The giving of the law is the giving of the entire moral code for all of humanity. We look at those rules and we're going, there's one, two, three, ten. Man, I'm lucky I can get through the first ten. And then all of a sudden we've got all these other laws coming at us. Previous, See, we go through our world today and we think about things like thou shall not kill and thou shalt not steal. That's not even a big thing for us, right? That thought has been around for what? Well, 2,000 years back to Jesus, yet another 2,000 years back to to uh, Moses or thereabouts, four or 5,000 years. That rule has been around, but guess what? Previous to that, there was no moral written code. You say, well, why do I want to spend time reading all these rules that are written in the Old Testament? Because that's the moral code that has been around that governs not just our nation, should govern our nation, should cover our lives, It governs all of humanity. The whole concept of thou shalt not kill, guess what? Comes back in Exodus, Exodus chapter 20. That's where that premise comes from. Otherwise, 
Otherwise, where does the rule, thou shalt not kill, come from? Well, I don't know, pastor. You know, we're just, we're just all good people at the core, right? And so we all just know that you shouldn't kill. No! The reason we know that is because for 4,000 years, all of our rules and our laws have been based on Judeo-Christian beliefs. They're based on Scripture. Previous to that, that was not there. We need to understand this covenant. We need to understand this. Was, let me give you just, just give you a few examples of some of these rules. Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 19 says, when you are harvesting in your field and you overlook a sheave, you know what a sheave is? Sheave is a, is a shock of hay or a shock of, of a grain that's out there and you overlook a sheave. Do not go back for it. Leave it for the alien, for the fatherless. For the, we're not talking aliens. We're talking about just strangers in the land. Leave it for the widow so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hand. If you forget a pile of grain out in the field, leave it there for the next guy. Some poor person's going to come along and they're going to need it. He goes on. And he says, when you beat the olives from the tree, don't go back over the branch the first time. Leave what remains for the alien and for the fatherless and for the widow. When you harvest your grapes in your vineyard, do not go back over the vine a second time. Leave what remains for the fatherless, for the widow, for the alien. Leave, leave what's there for somebody else. Remember when you were slaves in Egypt? This is why I command you to do this. God's saying, there was a time when you didn't have anything. There was a time when you were flat, broke, when you were, you were done, you were a slave, you had nothing of your own. That's why I'm telling you to do this. Be generous in your heart. Where does that come from? It comes from God, right? It comes from the law of God. It doesn't come out of our natural instinct. I've got grandkids, trust me. It does not come out of their natural instinct. Here, you want to share my toy? No, mine, mine mine right right that's the reality God instructs his people look when you gather olives leave a batch there for somebody else but God that cuts into my profit margin God says well if you really want to be blessed obey me do what I'm telling you to do some of these laws and these principles as we read through them you go well I don't have an olive tree in my backyard I guess I don't have to worry about that no but here's what God's saying be generous be generous help people out it's one of the rules it's one of the laws of God we should as his people be known for our generosity a buddy of mine actually was my cousin he worked for me for a while his fiance at the time was a waitress and she said there is nobody that she hates to serve Worse than church people on Sunday morning at 1 o'clock. Nobody, because they're the cheapest tightwads in town. They will, she, and her example was, and I can't say it all in church because it was not a pleasant exchange, but there was 12 people who came in from a church and they left her, between the 12 people, they left her $2.25 and four tracks on how to get saved. So she gathered up all the change that she could from the table and walked out and threw it out. Keep your bleeping change. That's what she thought about God's people. And they're blessing her with $2.25 worth of change. 
By the way, you can keep your track too. We want to bless people. We need to be generous. God says, if you're generous, I'm going to bless you as well. Now, I want you to understand something. We could dig just a little bit deeper here. Again, this was a, just, a, just a whole revelation for me how God's laws are the basis. I knew this. I knew this. It's the basis for all morality. It's the basis for all morality. If we say, well, you know, I just think people are just naturally good. Okay, let's just, just think about this for a minute. For all generations, all generations. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to think about the, the core belief of evolution. The core belief of evolution can be summed up in four words. I'm going to say the first two. We haven't practiced this, right? I'm going to say the first two. You say the last two. Say them out loud. Uh, all of, all of ev- evolution can be summed up in this. Survival of... Isn't that amazing how well you knew that? Survival of... Survival of the fittest. If you believe in evolution at its very core, you cannot believe in the morality of God. They are incongruent. They are incompatible. Do you believe that? Totally incompatible. Here's why. If you really believe in that doctrine, how does survival in the fittest, survival of the fittest, how does that work with Lay your lives down one for another. Survival of the fittest says what? Kill or be killed. The strongest one wins, right? Survival of the fittest. Can you leave something for someone else? Can I go through my my grain, harvest all my grain? Oh, I left a pile over there, and now I'm going to let Alonzo take that? I can't because he might get fitter than I am. And then he can be the fittest one. And the survival of the fittest, he's going to come and take me out, right? That's what evolution talks about. Survival of the fittest. Survival of the fittest. It is totally, the world system is totally incongruent with God's system. I don't care how you look at it. I don't care if you look at humanism. I don't care if you look at atheism. I don't care. And the reason that we have gotten so far away in our culture, think about how, how goofy our culture has gotten. How, I'm going to go beyond goofy, Okay. I'm going to cut right to demonic because so much of the rules and the regulations, so many of the things that we see in our culture today are nothing but demonic, right? Abortion is not God's plan. Abortion is, 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 is demonic. It is not God's. If you've, if you've had one, if you know somebody's had one, I'm not saying you're a demon. I'm not saying you're possessed. What I'm saying is it is so far away from God's plan. And how do we get there? I'll tell you how we get there. We get there by people not knowing the code. They don't know the rules. They don't know the original 600. I'm not saying you have to memorize them or that you have to know them all, but the basis of all morality, all morality for all generations comes right in the book of Exodus 5,000 years ago. That's the basis for everything. And as a culture, we've said, we don't need God's word. We don't need God. I can do life on my own. I can do life any way I want to. I'm 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 a strong person. I'm a smart person. I can do life any way I want to. And we wonder, how do we get so far away from godly principles and morals. It's because we've walked away from the very code. We've walked away from the very foundation. There's no morality without God's word. There's no morality without his commands. There isn't. There just isn't. Morality, what we see as morality, 
what we see as morality is based on God's word. If you read the history of our nation, you read about the first Congress, you read about, they would in the middle, while they're trying to make decisions, while they're trying to make rules, they'd take a break and go off and have a prayer meeting. What does the word of God say? What does the word say? What does the word say? Washington, D.C., they would stop and they would have prayer meetings before they made rules and decisions. What do you think they do now? It ain't that. Exactly. They remove the Ten Commandments. They're not looking at God's laws. All morality. If you don't get anything else out of this today, if you don't get anything else out of this today, I want you to walk away and I want you to tell yourself all week that all morality comes out of the book of Exodus and out of Leviticus. All morality. That is the foundation. That's the basis for all morality. All the rules that we look at. And, and again, we wonder why we're so far off base. Well, you say, well, pastor, God is a God of grace. Thank God we don't have to know all those rules. It's a good thing we don't have to remember all those rules. Thank God we don't live there. I guess I can still get by and do whatever I want to, right? New Testament, Romans chapter 6. What then shall we say? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means, Paul says. We are those who have died to sin and can uh, died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Do we get it? Do we get it? Am I saying you don't slip? I'm not saying you don't slip. You smash your finger, something might come out of your mouth that you don't want to have come out of your mouth. If somebody else smashes your finger, you might say something you wish you didn't say, but you can't live in that any longer. If you're born again, you can't live in that any longer. Why? Because that morality has just taken root in your heart. Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We drop down a few verses. Verse 9. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God in the same way Count yourselves as dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. How do you know what sin is? It comes back to the moral code. How do you know what the moral code is? Exodus, Leviticus, that's where it's at. The moral code is there. You go, Pastor, I'm not really sure. We read through Revelation. How come you got us reading through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus? We saw the end. We're living at the end. Let's figure out what the beginning is. What's the beginning? How are we going to live according to moral code? One way. One way only. You got to know it, right? Remember, I said this is the only time that God asked the children of Israel to participate in the covenant at this point. All I need you to do, God says, all I need you to do is just obey some of the rules and regulations. No, not some of them. Obey them all. What does the Bible say about all the rules and regulations in the Old Testament? What does it say about us? The fact of the matter is, what those rules and regulations prove to us is that you can't do it all. They point us to needing a savior. They point us to needing someone greater than ourselves. I can't muster all that up. I cannot muster it up. It points us to needing a savior. 
You say, well, then why do I learn it? Why do I, why do I try? It's it, because, because God's goodness should follow behind us. It should be evidenced. The people should know because of the way that you carry yourself, because of the way that I carry myself, they should know that I'm a believer. They should know that there's something different. Because I'm great at following all the rules and regulations? No, because the grace of God fills me so much that I want to follow after him. Regardless of, of the world around me, I want to do it right. Verse 15 in Romans chapter 6. What then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourself to someone as obedient slaves, you are slave of the one that you obey? When you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or whether obedience, which leads to righteousness. The Old Testament law can be broken down into three particular groups. And you can't draw perfect circles around it, but there's three categories, if you will. Number one is the civil law. When you consider the Old Testament, we have to look at the 3,000 years, again, of Judeo-Christian ethics that are built into our culture, even though they seem to be eroding fast. But at this time in history, there was no moral baseline code. And God has to start with some place. A simple, a simple example was back previous to, to the, well, it was still practiced after uh, the Ten Commandments were given. But infanticide, it was very common for people who lived in that world where there was human sacrifice all the time. Slaves were routinely killed with no accountability. Women were treated as property. Slaves were possession. Pagan religions often had uh, and would encourage temple prostitution. When you put all this in the right context, there was actually a god called uh, Moloch. And if you study it all, you read about this god, they would have a temple. And in the temple, they'd have a, a metal, usually a brass statue with the arms reached out. And, and in a sacrifice, they would take and build a fire in this in this. Te- in this God in this this statue until it became red hot and after this thing was red hot they'd place a baby in his arms trying to sacrifice a child in order to have God answer their 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 needs answer what their wants were answer their prayers That's, it's detestable it's unbelievable it's ungodly it's not only ungodly it's demonic right right God gives us rules about that. And yet here we are aborting how many million babies a year? What's the difference? Not much. The second area that we would consider are ritual or ceremonial rules. And if Christians are going to get hung up on anything, this is what we tend to get hung up on. We're supposed to have this feast and this 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 celebration and we can't do this and we got to do that. We got all these things that we have to and 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 quite honestly, if Jesus came to fulfill any of that law, he fulfilled that ceremonial law. We don't need to do those things to get right with God, and yet we build our righteousness on that. Paul speaks to the church in Galatians. He said, oh, you foolish foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish after beginning with the spirit that you are now trying to attain your goal by human effort. 
over and over and over again. People fall back to that. We, we, we accept Christ and then all of a sudden we got to do all the right things. You got to do, and I'm, I know I'm telling you that that's where the moral code came from. I know I'm telling you that as God changes your life, that morality should be a result of, but you don't have to chase after all the traditions of man. You don't have to chase after all the ceremonial law. You don't have to chase after all the traditions in order to be right. Paul says, that's not what makes you right. It's the spirit of God dwelling in you. That's what makes you righteous. It's turning your lives over to Christ. That's what makes you righteous. And those things, those right things, will follow on behind us. Ceremonial law, Jesus did that. He covered that. We don't have to do that anymore. That deal is done. Drop the mic, walk away. He fulfilled all of that. But the final thing that we look at is the moral law. And it's the Ten Commandments. It's the beginning of those, those laws. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your soul, your strength. It's, it's do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against other people, but love your neighbor as yourself. These are, are moral laws that we have to follow. These are the things that God builds inside of us. This is where a culture thrives or a culture fails is by following morality. What's morality? It's not just throwing a dart at a board and going, oh, I think that's right, I think that's right. What does the word say? What does the word say? What does Deuteronomy say? That's the basis of all morality for all humanity, beginning and end. It doesn't stop. That's the code right there. As soon as we begin to walk away from that, we're walking away from God's heart. Does that make sense to us? We have a great promise in the Old Testament by Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah 31 and 33. It says, This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they will be my people. If we will submit ourselves to God on a regular basis. You don't have to turn to the book of Deuteronomy and actually look and see, is that what chapter, what verse is it? Because God will write it on your heart and you'll know, man, I can't go there. I just can't go there. I just can't go there. I just can't go there. I know that's wrong. I know it's wrong. I know it's wrong. Why? Because God writes it on our heart. Because he loves us so much. But we're only going to find that if we submit ourselves to him. We're not going to find that in culture. We're not going to find that in most TVs, most movies. You're not going to find that at most theaters. You're not going to find that at a bar. You're not going to find those rules and those regulations by by bringing in the whole world system around us. We've got to look at what the Word of God says. It is our only hope if we want want any morality to come back to this nation. It's right here. It's right here. And it starts with the children of God doing what they're supposed to do. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, humble themselves. If we will humble ourselves, God will lift up our nation, right? He'll restore us, right? He'll rebuild us. Moral laws apply to each of us and to every situation. Moses gives these laws of God to help direct our, our paths well, you know, you think, why don't we kill people? Well, morally, it's wrong. Well, who says so? God says so. It's not the government that makes that decision. We don't steal. Why? It's morally wrong. Who says so? God says so. His word says so. We don't bear false witness. Why not? It's morally wrong. Who says so? God says so. That's not just Congress decided that 
or a bunch of people got together and decided it. God says it. Moral code comes right out of here. As we're reading through Deuteronomy, I know that it seems like it can be difficult reading. But it's like you're reading the moral code of all humanity. Can you imagine? Can you imagine a day in our world where that moral code is held to by every person? No life ended through random violence. No act of terrorism. Nobody hit or killed. Nobody tells a single lie. Everyone spoke the truth. Can you imagine a day where everyone just speaks truth to each other? I'm not even talking about the big ones and not killing each other. I'm just talking about speaking truth to each other. Can you, okay, let's go down a step farther. Every father and mother are honored by their children. Just that. Not even about speech, just honoring. Imagine a world filled with love and the compassion of God's moral standard. Wouldn't it be amazing? Wouldn't it be amazing? Wouldn't it be amazing? All of it comes right out of Scripture. I don't want to read the Bible. Guess what? You're not going to get that built into you. As we close today, I'm going to ask you to just stand with me. And I'm just going to read a very condensed version of the Ten Commandments, and then we'll pray. Number one, you shall have no other gods before me. Number two, you shall not make for yourself idols or graven images. Number three, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Number four, remember the Sabbath by keeping it holy. Number five, honor your father and your mother. Number six, you shall not murder. Number seven, you shall not commit adultery. Number eight, you shall not steal. Number nine, you shall not bear false witness. Number ten, you shall not covet. Father God, we thank you so much for your word. Here in the book of Deuteronomy, we see the moral code for all humanity. God, I'm not sure that we get it. I'm not sure that we understand it. I'm not sure that we understand that level. But all humanity is governed by that code. And the moment that we walk away from it is the moment that we say we're God and we're going to decide ourselves. Lord, I pray as a nation you would bring us back to that place where we want to honor you with that code that you've even written on our hearts as, a, as, as true God-fearing people, people who've said, I want Jesus in my life. God, as we take those laws that you've put back in our heart, God, I pray that we would walk in them with integrity. Help us to reveal your morality. Help us to reveal who you are by the way that we live our lives. As we leave this place, Father, I pray a special blessing over all mothers today. God, that you would be with them. There are times when it's really difficult because we've had struggles with kids or we've had struggles with not being able to have children or loss of a child. I know that there's often heartbreak. God, I pray your, your blessing would just reside on every mom in this building today. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Bless you. Have a great day.